1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svenson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. My guest this week is best known for her bodacious role as Ula in the hit musical The Producers. Katie Huffman is a Tony Award-winning actress, singer, dancer, producer, and director, and she's a familiar face in film and on television. She recently returned to the daytime television with a reoccurring role on Days of Our Lives. Katie is also a passionate advocate for a number of causes, including arts education, AIDS awareness, breast cancer research, women's health, and animal rights. I'm so thrilled to have her here today. Katie, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Dan. I'm thrilled to be here.
2: Well, you know, I really wanted to have you as my guest today, especially as I launched the second season of this podcast, um, around the anniversary of 9-11. And I think of you a lot because um, you were there the day that we all created the commercial um, to help bring Broadway back and the spirit of New York back after the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Um, you were at that time starring in the mega, mega hit, The Producers, and you were sort of front and center in the, in the making of that commercial. Um, so I wanted to talk about your memories of that time, and um, let's first talk about The Producers, just in general. I mean, it was such a huge hit, and, um, and you and Matthew and Nathan and the whole cast, I mean, you guys were just front and center in on the Broadway, you know, stage um, and in everything going on on Broadway. So when the terrorist attacks happened, the producers kind of became this show that everybody looked to.
0: It was obviously a shocking time and a time, you know, a time where we all kind of wondered, how do you do a comedy during this time? a comedy that has a song called springtime for Hitler. And my brother's a journalist and he called me and he said, Katie, how are you going to make people laugh? Cause we went back to work. It happened on Tuesday and we went back to work on Thursday. Um, and I, it just occurred to me, it's like, I can't wait to hear people laugh. And yeah, we were this crazy hit. You know just all the stars lined up, and for some reason we we hit it, and just um you know were're absolutely that huge hit on Broadway. so when pretty much all of Manhattan shut down, you know none of us knew what to do and how it was gonna happen and i I hope that the show was pretty successful at anchoring Midtown and Broadway because. You know, nobody was coming on and off the island at that point. So what happened was we had this audience that no longer could get to us. So New Yorkers started coming and lining up around the block. And, yeah, our theater was full. Our theater was full, and I know that others weren't. So... I think we felt, I mean, I know I felt a certain responsibility in welcoming people to our show. And hopefully, if they couldn't get a ticket to our show, they went and saw another show. But it really was the first time where I said, oh, I, I you know, it's not just a silly job. This job can help people forget for two or three hours, help people heal with laughter You know, there's so many studies and so much proof that the arts help, that whatever it is that the genius of Mel Brooks taps into with his own experience, um, there are people who really respond to it. And even though it was a big old comedy, there's a lot of heart to it. He has a, you know, this is a man who fought in World War II. This is not an experience that... Was completely foreign to Mel Brooks, and I think, even though you know, obviously springtime for Hitler. But even though we don't know it specifically, I think there's sort of a feeling that oh my gosh, this is a time. This is how we can heal from this crazy event that we're that's going to take forever to to process. Because I'm like, it's been 20 years, and I still we still talk about it. I still see that second plane flying into the second tower. You know, it's it's still so front and center. I hope I, I I hope I answered your question somewhere in there. Uh, but it was intense because the the cast, we were getting a lot of requests for interviews and stuff too, which was very like, Oh, dang, what are we going to say? Uh, and we all we got together, held hands, looked at each other, and of course Nathan and Matthew were great leaders, and just said, you know, let's do this. We've we've uh, we've come this far with each other. Let's do this. We did it. And at the end of the show, there was a curtain speech, and the entire audience sang "God Bless America," which we did for I think a month or so, or a couple of weeks at least. And it just was, you know, uh, extremely healing, powerful, full extraordinary. I, it was, you know, much. I'm very tempted to use curse words when describing the events that I won't. Do you remember, because
2: I was there um, the night, that Thursday night, um, oh. September 13th, when you came back, and wow. it, it turned into like a big press event, but Rocco Landisman gave a speech before the show began. And I don't know if the cast backstage could hear it, but I was standing at the back of the house, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it but um, he basically said how difficult it must be for all of us in the audience to come together at this time and even try to laugh and how difficult it must be for the cast and for the crew to be there as well and that there was this incredible connection that all these strangers are in the dark exchanging all this energy connecting but it was a very cathartic healing thing and that always stayed with me and Mm -hmm. I thought about that Um, for a long time because I think that was exactly what happened that night. It was magic that night.
0: Wow. Yeah, you're you're kind of freaking me out that you were there. You know, it's like, oh, that's right. There were people in that audience and they were having an experience, you know. Wow. Thank you for telling me that because I I didn't know. Well, it was interesting, too, because I was working at the Broadway League at the
2: time and on um, the day before, so September 12th, the mayor's office called the Broadway League and said, you need to get Broadway back up and running. And um, many different things happened, you know, so we, um, I wrote a marketing plan because that's what I knew how to do. But, um, you know, there were people working with all the unions and, you know, the idea was, okay, by tomorrow night, which would be Thursday, we're back up and running and you guys really became the poster child on how to do that. And you're right, I I remember the, American flags in the lobbies. And I remember singing the national anthem or God bless America at all the shows. It was very impactful and very moving.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, Jesus, New York city is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the center of the world and the hurricane recently and other things that have happened over the years, you know, the, the pandemic, uh, it's just full of passionate, strong people, Like you don't really go to New York City if you're not someone who's going to really get up every day and try, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And when you saw how much generosity was filling up the island, uh, you know, we all helped each other. We all just helped each other.
2: We did. Um, You know, one of the other things that that came out of that trying to bring Broadway back and bring New York City back was we created a commercial and um, all the shows um, participated. everybody in costume. Um, people got in their costumes at their theaters and, um, and then came down to Times Square and you were there front and center. But the day before that we actually shot uh, we actually uh, recorded the music. Do you remember the re- music recording session? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do you have any memories specifically of that? because it was the first time everybody saw everybody else
0: yeah and once again you know the broadway community (laughs) the only time you get to see each other is at a bar after the show but also at the tony awards like you don't get to see each other's shows you don't Mm -hmm. get to see each other in costume so it's really amazing when you get to come together and uh share that kind of um powerful moment as well as uh exceptional I don't know. It, it's, it, I, it's so hard to describe with words, but yeah, I remember just the love, the tears, the, like it, it, you're sort of held your breath through that whole time and you sort of, you know, you didn't want to make a wrong move. You didn't want to, you only wanted to help and coming together and hugging each other and seeing each other and seeing, uh, how this, incredible community does come together so often. I mean, it wasn't an unusual thing that we were um, recording something, shooting something for a cause. That wasn't the unusual part. Uh, But it was unusual to have all of us there at once, and it was unusual circumstances. You know, you just have my, like, yeah. if this was, if you could see my face, like my brain is going like crazy. Mm. Like I keep on seeing these images in my head and feeling in my heart what was going on at the time. So I'm doing my, my best to get the words out. But, um, you know, it's such a, a privilege to, oh God, just to spend time with those people who are as passionate uh, about theater as they are about helping.
2: Yeah, and that's really what that commercial was all about. Um, And I do do remember, you know, you were in the front row and I think it was Matthew and Nathan and Joel Grey was next to you on the other side. Yeah. Um, And I remember during the music recording, Joel was there and he was sort of doing these little fist bumps, keeping time to the beat.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I don't know if you know this, but Joel Grey and I had sex on television.
2: Uh, I don't know that. When was that and what was that?
0: (laughs) That was uh, Law and Order, uh, Criminal Intent. And I didn't even know there was a sex scene. And I show up for work and they like hold up a bra and panties. I'm like, oh, what's that for? The sex scene. And I come in and there's Joel and his tidy whities. And we're just sort of naked all day in bed, like humping and, you know, this whole thing. (laughs) So, I mean, to this day, that was like. P- close to 20 years ago. It's you know, we're still married to this day you know, it, it, it creates an intimacy that that's unexpected
2: and segue That's so interesting that you and Joel were standing next to each other as we were shooting that 9-11 commercial yeah. When we were shooting the video in the middle of Times Square I don't know if you remember this or not, but the fire trucks would come down Broadway heading downtown oh. Do you remember that at all? I just have such a strong memory of the fire trucks and everybody st- we all stopped shooting Stop. and we were and all
0: cheer. Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Jeez. You're you're bringing it back. You're bringing it all back. Really what struck me that I continue to really be uh, to remember about that day is Jerry Mitchell. Because mm-hmm. he took all of us and cheered us through that whole thing. You know, he did that choreography that was simple but effective. But it was his extraordinary energy that lifted all of us to do that. It was I I was because I had I knew Jerry as a performer. You know, I had done the Will Rogers Follies with him. But boy, he just got up in front of everybody and lifted us all up so that we could basically do you know the ninth show of the week. You know, we were all still. Performing eight a week and he just came in and lifted us all it was I learned a lot About a lot of people that day, you know, just a lot about how to be generous and um, Yeah, anyway, Jerry's what sort of stands out for me
2: as a Someone who's involved in, in helping to make that it was probably something I will never forget in my entire life but looking back at it after 20 years it's also just um it's so incredible, and, um, and that feeling of that day was, it was so incredible. Again, it was that feeling of connecting, and, and it was a, a, a time of healing, I guess, you know, and, and hopefully I think that that commercial and the Broadway community in general helped a lot of people heal from that.
0: I hope so, and thank you. I mean, thank you for, you know, being part of the uh, enthusiasm and, and energy that made that happen, because, yeah, the mayor at that time was... Yeah. Saying people need to come back, you know, right. people need to come back and we we, we got behind him, and we did, you know, it was extraordinary. But speaking
2: of coming back, um, it's actually very relevant to now mm. because Broadway's coming back um, after 18 months of a shutdown due to COVID. And um, maybe before we, we go into other parts of the conversation, I you know, how have you been the last 18 months, Katie, and, and what's, you know, what's been going on for you? <laughs>
0: Gee, <laughs> uh, you know, I have struggled right along with everybody. It's, um, I, I've been extremely fortunate as well. I've, I've done a couple of jobs. Uh, I have done what I needed to do um, as far as health care and, uh, you know, getting unemployment when I could. And, and uh, you know, a lot of stuff has happened over these eight mu- 18 months, and I am as affected as anyone. I have unfortunately uh, lost people and we, you know, we all lost Nick in the beginning and I didn't, I didn't even know Nick. I'd met him and there was something so powerful about having somebody from my Broadway community die from this thing. It, it brought back a lot of very painful experiences from the AIDS pe- pe- epidemic. I was a teenager when my first friend died of that. Mm. And it just sort of brought back a lot of those memories. Uh, And I did my best to live by myself in a quiet apartment for the first nine months. And I actually ended up buying a house in Connecticut because I was like, I need to be able to go outside and not mask up. And so, you know, my life has utterly been turned upside down. Um, and I am doing my best, do like daily phone calls and zoom meetings to, uh, for sanity's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, trying to keep up, trying to keep up any sense of normalcy when you have no idea what the future is bringing is a challenge as we know, as we we're certainly finding out. Um, yeah. I have a now have a cousin who lives with me who who lost his job after thirty five years. Mm. You know, it's and thank God if I hadn't bought this house, he wouldn't be living with me, and I wouldn't have sort of this family environment that I have. Because uh, I, you know, our friends are suffering. I'm suffering. I am. I tend to be a very positive, upbeat person. And it's the first time I really understood the winter blues.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you know, I'd never f- felt that before. So I've, I've gone down sort of a, a an experiential thing of uh, uh, I, uh, sadness that I could be prior to the pandemic. I could just make myself busy and not have to think about with not being busy, it's okay. We're gonna go introspective. I'm gonna learn more about myself. Who the heck am I? And and uh, try to heal myself with the help of friends. Yeah, I mean, that's really all I can say about it is, dang, uh, and I have I have friends around the world who are worse off in countries where they've literally never left their homes, where there's no vac- vaccine yet. Right. Uh, So anyway, yeah, it's been all that for me too. And even when I talk to my therapist, she's like, yep, that's the therapist too. The therapists are going through it and you know, it's all that stuff.
2: You said a minute ago that you've taken some of this time to like get your, to get to know yourself better. And I think that's really interesting. um, I think that's some, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good that's come out of all this bad too. Um, But I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you better. Um, so can I ask you a couple sort of rapid-fire quick questions
0: okay let's see how it goes okay let's
2: see how it goes Um, especially now that you've had all this time to think about it um (laughs) if if you had to choose only three adjectives to describe yourself what would you choose
0: smart funny uh, compassionate what do you most give a damn about
2: kindness what dream have you yet to achieve
0: um i'm a director and i really 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 want to um direct broadway Hmm. direct on broadway
2: name one of the things that you're most proud of in your life
0: um (laughs) most proud of well my stick-to-itiveness (laughs) I've been in this business a very long time and anyone who's uh, living as an artist knows you have the good times and the bad times. So I have uh, been very resilient over the years and whether or not I'm being dragged down by myself or anyone else, I, I search for the good and I search for the way out. I can see the light.
2: And what are you most grateful for today? My cats. Tell us about your cats.
0: I got to tell you, I mean, I, it sounds like a joke, but it's not. Because particularly during those nine months when I was alone with my cats, I had to wake up every morning. I had to feed those cats. I had to scoop their poop. And I just thank them. Like, I would literally just th- say thank you for allowing me in your life because mm. not having anything to care for would have, it seems to, would have been impossible. So, uh, yes, it sounds silly, but my cats are at the top of that list. If, their names are Jet Lee and Dickie Rorschach. And Jet Lee is 15 as of yesterday. Dickie just turned two. So, I'd gotten Dickie right before the pandemic. So, he thinks I'm home 24 7. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like anytime he leaves, he's very confused.
2: Pandemic cat. Yes, those, yeah. they're spoiled. Um, wow. Well, good for them. Good for you. <laughs>
1: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boyd were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: You've had an amazing stage career. I mean, you've starred in Bob Fossey's Big Deal and Will Rogers Follies, as you mentioned, and Chicago, so many more, but I guess, you know, for me, like Ula and the producers will always be this role that, you know, defines you. And and um, and that's probably not fair, but that's how it is in my head <laughs> anyway. But I just wondered, what did that role mean to you?
0: Yeah, I love Ula. And I think is a very strong woman and a very talented woman. And, um, you know, it's, it, uh, there's a lot of story there. Like there's a lot of story as to why I, got the role and eventually it all happened it, it it starts well before i even knew that that show was ever a possibility but um i didn't have to audition for it i did a reading of it uh, a couple of readings and after it mel brooks said kid when it goes you're in <laughs> so <laughs> it was developing a, a fleshing out a character like ula is the type of challenge that I love you know that she is obviously particularly you know when I put on the wig and pushed my boobs up and wore the dresses and the lips and the lash and a half you know it creates quite a an impact the her look was like you know it was one of those moments which is not me but it you know she is visually not just very sexy she's obviously a a sight gag too so you know the boys faces are right at my chest there's a lot of uh you know opportunity for humor simply because i'm tall and shapely but when it comes right down to it she is she's written the song she's auditioning with she does bring magic into the office she has to touch one key on that piano an entire arpeggio plays You know, she's magical, she's smart, she's talented, even though she's hired uh, to be a secretary. She shows up in springtime for Hitler and singing her and dancing her ass off. Um, And she falls in love. Like, she really falls in love with Leo, which is uh, one of the things I really try to... um, I try to tell you, know, like I got a lot of young women writing, DMing me on social media, they're playing the role. It's that she, you don't have to play sexy with Ula. You're hired because you are sexy. The best thing to do is to make her as real as possible. Um, the funny, the lines are already funny. She is already sexy. And her biggest challenge is that she's speaking a language that's not her first language. So she's struggling. To understand, struggling to be understood, uh, but dang, she picks up on Pig Latin. She's like, <laughs> you yeah, know, that's a powerful woman, and I, I've had some people who will call themselves feminists uh, really put her down, and I'm like, you know what? If you can't support a woman who likes to have sex every day at eleven, then you're not getting the whole feminist thing, because you know that is not a shame. She's not ashamed of her sexuality. And that's a very American thing to be ashamed uh, of our bodies, of our sexuality and all that. It's like, if you go to Sweden, man, all those girls look like that. And, you know, it's a much more, uh, you know, that's one reason why it works to play a Swede. It's just, it's not an environment of shame. Um, But anyway, I love her. I loved creating her. I loved finding the humor in uh the few lines and just the beauty of getting to fall in love every night and and create uh, an environment where you you the audience is so happy and the audience is exhausted at the end because they've had such a beautiful time will i ever experience that again i don't know you know i i experience a similar feeling when i do direct and i give the show to my actors and they do it with so much beauty and you know, they're just, they're giving of themselves. That sort of gives me a similar feeling that I can have, uh, that, that reminds me of doing that show. But dang, every single time I'm in a Broadway show or any show and I walk through that stage door, I know how privileged I am. I mean, that's incredible. Mm. You know, the air changes. I change orchestra comes in, you know, the stage doorman is so happy to be there and say hi to everybody. And, you know, it's, it's a very special environment. And to be Ula, I mean, come on, Mm. that's freaking crazy. I forget all the time, you know, and and someone's introducing me and she went blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, it's good to hear a good intro every once in a while because I don't always remember.
2: (laughs) It was pretty special. Um. As I mentioned during our, our, the intro, um, you've also been a passionate advocate for a number of causes over the years, um, arts education and AIDS and um, breast cancer, women's health, animal rights, probably for cats. Um, <laughs> what, what causes and organizations are most important to you
0: and why? Well, all, the, all that you have mentioned, I mean, certainly AIDS awareness because that was, uh, you know. I I was a dancer in you know on Broadway in 1985, Mm. and it started. I had my first national tour in 1983, and in 1984, my first friend died. When we had all the misinformation, all the fear surrounding it, and nobody helping, and watching a community that was uh, often shut down, not allowed in, watching that community, the create their own reality demand research and so i am more than thrilled to talk to young people particularly to tell my own experience of that time i'm i'm so grateful you know my friends were dying now our friends are living with aids which is a huge step forward Uh, but you know there's a lot of misconceptions it's like it's like this pandemic like You don't want this virus. You don't want it. And if there had been a vaccine for, you know, I'm getting a little political, but a little bit of vaccine back there for AIDS, you know, we'd be taking that vaccine. You Mm -hmm. know, I had my own scares. Like we just didn't know how you got it. So certainly AIDS awareness continues to be uh, up there. Anything with women's health, you know, it's just uh, whether or not my morality lines up with anybody else's morality it's you know women have most doctors and scientists over the years not anymore have been men and our health has been secondary you know we need smaller instruments we need to know that uh our heart health is very different than men's heart health that when we're having a heart attack it's not numb left arm. It's a backache, an indigestion. You know, we have different symptoms. We have different bodies. And then we have all that mystery of our reproductive system. That's it. None of it is simple. So anything about keeping women educated. And again, there's so much shame about our bodies, you know, helping women to know that they can ask questions of their doctors and that there's not a a caste system where the doctor knows everything. Um, You know, I want women to know that, to be empowered to know, ask questions, ask a lot of questions. Don't allow uh, doctors or anyone else to make you feel like it's a stupid question. There are no stupid questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So more and more, I mean, geez, you think that there's, you know, three steps forward, then you get such a huge step back sometimes. It's heartbreaking, but I am all in for anything Uh, women's health. And then, of course, the arts and schools is huge to me because that's, I didn't grow up rich. I I grew up uh, in a very chaotic home with a father who was sometimes uh, homeless. And I am, I was saved by my classes and by shows. And I understand the power of the healing power of the arts. And as I see, you know, when I was in school in the 60s and 70s, it's there was an orchestra, there was a choir, mm-hmm. there were plays at the elementary school level. You know, I played the baritone horn starting in third grade because it existed. And now for some reason, all those programs are disappearing. So when there is an opportunity to encourage, the, participation particularly by children in the arts, it's not just that it's fun to do, it's that when you learn music, you're learning math. And when you are enjoying something like the arts, painting a picture, dance, whatever it is, you want to go to school. Like it just empowers a child with more confidence. It's like we see what, the, what they're doing with sports and empowering young girls, it's the same thing. Yeah. Confidence, learning, getting the mind—you know—algebra. Ha- Who the hell cares about algebra until you see how many cats it takes to do it? You know, <laughs> it's like make it mean something to me. You know, um, if I can only you know count in eights as a dancer, like what does it mean to me? All those things come together. So yeah, um, yeah. And any, and I've also seen incredible progress made with people who had severe trauma in doing um, sort of drama therapy. So I have definitely advocated for that. I don't know. It's like, I just want everybody to, to, to know the joy that I've had and I've experienced over my life.
2: We've talked a lot about um, in this podcast about how when you're giving, you're also getting so much and it sounds like, you know, you've had that same experience and, um, and that's really powerful because it really is a two-way, you know, it's a dialogue, right? It's not just a one-way thing.
0: You know, yeah. I mean, it, for me, maybe it's just I'm curious and I'm an actor. And, but to see other people's experience, to hear an experience that's completely different from mine. Because, you know, of course, we, we approach everything through the lens of our own experiences, and the more I can open myself up to the experiences of others, uh, you know, it opens up my world. And I have certainly had extreme, but yeah, um, I'm I'm a fortunate person. I'll say that I'm a very fortunate person. There's just nothing like it, right, Jen? I mean, when you see children singing and dancing just with with abandon and not having it, just like there's something that feeds this human spirit cuz life is going to be hard. Things are going to you know enter your path that you did not see coming. And hopefully the arts will help have moments of joy, moments of you know connection with people. And when you do serve others, you get to connect with people that you probably wouldn't if you don't
2: that's such a good point. I was going to ask you, um, a lot of people listening, and hopefully if they're listening to this podcast, they're also, you know, want to be everyday philanthropists and they want to learn more about how to give and how to be of service. And um, I just wondered if you, like, what advice you would give, but I think what you just said was so relevant too, like, it's a way for you to connect um, if you're of service to others, right?
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's been a really hard thing during this pandemic, right? Because, like, volunteering sort of went away. Because it was dangerous and I'm in a new community. Well, what am I going to do? And it's for me, it starts, you know, I do have like daily phone calls with people and there is service to just getting on a Zoom call to, uh, you know, to share what's been going on. That is service, showing up as a service. Now I have new neighbors and it's like, well, just introducing myself to my neighbors and saying, if there's ever anything you need, Mm -hmm. you just never know where that's going to lead. You know, there's a pantry down the block from me. Well, how do I get cans of food to that pantry? Even if I just have a couple of cans to understand that a couple of cans given to a food pantry, Someone's going to eat that food. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to have a meal that day. You know, it's, and I, you know, as I said, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And sometimes, uh, you know, eating was like, oh, I guess that's not happening today. <laughs> you know, I guess lunch isn't happening today. So anytime I can uh, discover what, what, it, what it is in my town that the people who are Struggling need. I'm. I'm all in. So yeah, it's asking around. It's calling around, knowing what sort of speaks to me, which is all the things we talked about, including uh, neighborhood hunger, neighborhood needs. Um, yeah, it starts locally. You know, everything starts locally. Theater starts locally. Everything starts locally. Mm-hmm. Just um, be open to it.
2: It sounds like. I mean, your nature is to be a person, um, a giving person, but um, where did you, where do you, do you have to learn philanthropy? Do you have to learn to be kind? Um, I mean, part of it is genetic, obviously, but how did you learn to become philanthropic? I guess is my question to you. Uh,
0: Yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah. I mean, I certainly didn't learn hate. That was, thank God, you know, my mom and my grandmother who I grew up with, they never taught me hate, which is, I see that's not everyone's experience. But my mom is very active uh, with, uh, I mean, now she's 89 years old, and she's talking about becoming a docent at the Natural History Museum. Oh, my God, know. I love it. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> says. looking back. It's like, where did I get this? Why did mm. I think that this is what I needed to do? And it's fully my mom. You know, mm. she, she brought us to environments where people were different, than we were, whether it was with handicaps or the color of their skin or whatever it was, she just was kind of fearless in entering into um, environments different from our own. Um, And she continues, you know, she just continues. So I I can't say that it's something I've had to, I guess it's just something I learned early on and, I do, I do feel a little bit strange if I'm not at least seeking out some opportunity to help. Yeah.
2: Well, at the top of this um, recording, you said that kindness was so important, and you are absolutely such a kind person, and it it's coming through the uh, the recording waves. And uh... God, I hope so. <laughs> It's been such an honor to talk to you. And oh. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, and for us to reconnect after 20 years.
0: Yes. thank you so much. What a beautiful idea for a podcast. Thank you so much for introducing this community and, and how generous they are to the world.
2: Uh, well, thank you for being on today. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadway Gives Back Podcast. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, editor, and friend, Jim Lochner. And thank you to everyone at BPN, including Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Kimberly Garris. I'd also like to thank Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency and Eric Becker from Broderick Street Music. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast. And on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit vpn.fm/BroadwayGivesBack. Thanks so much.